Well, good morning, everybody, and <clears throat> welcome. If we have any guests or folks that are uh, new to this church, we welcome you, and everybody's invited to stay uh, after the service. We have a coffee hour and goodies. I know that because Nancy was working all day yesterday preparing them. So it would be a great favor to me if you'd eat them. I would really appreciate that. Um, the bulletin says sermon. Basically, I don't like to think of myself as somebody who gives sermons, but maybe uh, leads us into uh, thinking about Scripture and learning from Scripture. And the King's Wedding Banquet is a title that's in Scripture and... That is the title of a parable that Jesus taught, and that's what we're going to be going over this morning. I actually think of it in uh, non-parable terms as being God's dress code, because we have the parable, and then we have the everyday life and the application. So hopefully we'll learn more about that as we go. I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Karen Conger. She's way in the back, in the conger pew. Is that right? (laughs) That's true. She made these little keychains and passed them out to folks uh, at the Wednesday morning Bible study. It says, I survived 2020. And it's cute because the zeros are made out of rolls of toilet paper. (laughs) And we laugh, but you know, it wasn't wasn't funny, was it? (laughs) I mean, and <clears throat> it's probably been 18 months since I stood here. There was a time during those 18 months that I didn't know if I ever would, again, stand before you. 2020 was a rough year for me. I mean, yeah, we survived it. We got through it. I guess most of us avoided uh, COVID-19, and, and, and we had to quarantine and maybe a few things like that. But in May of last year, I had emergency gallbladder removal, and they cut me wide open. And of course, no family could visit. That set me back. That was tough. That set me back several weeks. And then in October, I fell and broke a bone in my foot and and tore some ligaments. And so I was laid up again for several weeks. And then on Christmas Day, last year. We're FaceTiming with our grandchildren as they're opening their gifts, and I got a call from the state of Vermont says, you have COVID. Now, I'm 77 years old, and I get a call on Christmas Day saying, you got COVID. What do you think, huh? Where'd you think my mind went? Um, Christmas Day evening, I spent in the emergency room at the hospital being checked out for symptoms. But I quarantined for 10 days in my room, and thanks to the grace of God, and that's why I'm saying this, praise God, and, and the loving care of my wife of 54 years, Nancy, here I am. So I just wanted to share that with you. 2020 was a rough year, and uh, I'm never going to forget it.
Whether we're um, Christians that have been Christians for several years or whether we're new Christians, I think sometimes when we read Scripture, we may come away not really understanding what we just read. And I will admit that I'm not a proponent of reading the Bible through and through, once a year, etc. Because I think what that does is we just literally read the Bible. And we can say, I read the Bible. But what did you learn? What did you study? So I think to study Scripture, we have to think of the five W's. Anybody know what the five W's are? Very good. When we're looking at God's word, we should try to be able to answer some of those questions. Otherwise, what's the point? So, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm not going to stand here and preach, really. Did you say cool? <laughs> Did you say amen? I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm going to try to make you do some of the work. I think that's a, I think that's a better way for students to learn is to do it themselves instead of having somebody talk to them and maybe put them to sleep. Although I, we're in pretty good shape here as far as time, so hang in there, folks. I promise not to make it as, as any longer and absolutely have to. But as a background and introduction, getting back to the five W's of when we're studying scripture, you need to understand that in this parable that Jesus is, is giving, giving then and giving now, that was the third parable of a group of parables that he shared with the Jewish leaders of the time. Many times they didn't understand it. Many times his own disciples didn't understand it. So therefore, we don't always understand it. Okay? So don't feel bad. If you don't understand it first time through. So we're going to take a little look at that uh, this morning. But I'm just going to read a few passages of Scripture. You don't have to look this up. But while I'm talking, it wouldn't hurt a bit if you grabbed your Bibles, grabbed a pew Bible, and find Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Because if you don't do that, you're not really looking at God's word, are you? And you're not really studying his word. Maybe you don't care. But I've spent time getting ready for this, and I really appreciate it if you would get your Bibles out. When we look at scripture, I think it's sort of like going into a maybe a new gold mine that we just discovered. You walk in and there are nuggets lying around, you pick them up, and you go, wow, this is really easy. This is great. But then when those easy ones are picked up, you've got to start digging in, right? You've got to do some work. And that's what this is all about. So the background for this, Matthew 21, 23, you don't have to look these up. 
When he entered the temple, that is Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't healing. He was teaching. And he was constantly being followed by the, by the, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the elders. They wanted to know more about him. Um, they wanted to know if he was real. But, but in many cases, they wanted to trip him up. They thought they knew more than he did. If he wasn't the Messiah, if he was the pretender, they figured for sure we can trip him up with some scripture. So he's, Jesus is in the temple talking to the leaders of the Jewish faith, and he tells three parables. First parable, he says, Truly I tell you, meaning the Jewish leaders, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Ouch. Yeah, that probably caught them a little bit. You see, what, he, what Jesus is trying to do is explain to them and to us now about the kingdom of God. And if you remember John the Baptist when he was saying, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Nobody really knew what that meant. And Jesus came saying, the kingdom of God is near. And they still didn't know what that meant. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then the second parable. Jesus says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people that produce the fruit of the kingdom. Ouch, again. He's looking them right in the eye. This is going to be taken away from you. You're not going to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, these guys are uh, maybe a little slow on the uptake, but in Matthew 21, 45, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. Duh. They got it. They got the fact that he was talking to them. And when he said the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to others that you consider sinners, he was talking to them. Now we come to the third parable, still talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that's Matthew 22, 1 through 14. So here we go. You read it. You read it for yourself right now. And then we'll talk about it in a couple of minutes. Okay? As you're reading it, be thinking about the fact, again, this is a parable. So Jesus is telling a story, but there's a message there. And it's the message that we're interested in digging out this morning. How are we doing? 
14 verses. Everybody got them? Here we go. Now, you don't get any points for this. There are no free trips or anything like that. But I'm going to ask you, who does the king represent in this parable? Hello? Who does the king represent? Come on, folks. Who said that? Who said God? Marilyn, good for you. See how easy that was? The king in the parable is God in the message. Who is the son? Come on now. All right. Catching on. <laughs> There's hope. All right. Now, this one's a little more difficult. Think about this. Who is the bride? The son's getting married. The king is inviting people to come to a huge celebration because there's a wedding. Isn't that what scripture says? His son's getting married. He is so happy. The church and the elected God. Aha! Good man. Yes. Think of it this way. The church is the bride of Christ. It says that in scripture. And God must be so thrilled if we look at the message side of this parable. God is so thrilled that the church is beginning to grow and the church will be Christ's bride and that bride is coming into God's family. That bride is coming into God's kingdom. You see the difference? All these religious types who thought they were better than so many other people, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Not going to happen. What is going to happen is those sinners who become the bride, part of the bride of Christ, the church, join the church, they will be coming into God's family, not you. All right? Who were the people who were invited? Hello? Who? Oh, yeah. All the, all the, all the people, and I'm going to assume here that they were the Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah, because that's what they were doing, remember? This is part of the background that you get the flavor of what this message is in this parable. Got to go back. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come and establish an, what? An earthly kingdom here on earth. And this king sends them an invitation. So think of it this way. God is inviting and saying to the Jews who've been waiting for him, I've got a celebration. I want you to come. Now, isn't that really what God wanted? He did want the Jews to come to him. They were waiting for him. It's also important to, to, to realize or to know that in those days, since there were no written invitations, no phones or anything else, this king would have sent out messengers to all these people. 
And the first message he gives them is, get ready. He doesn't send them a message saying, I want you to come on a certain day at a certain time at a certain hour. That's not known. What he says to them is, get ready. Get your house in order. Get your crops in. Do what you got to do. Because at some point, I'm going to send you a second invitation, and that's when you come to the celebration. That's all consistent with Scripture, right? And even today, we're told, be prepared. You don't know the time of Jesus' second coming. Be prepared. So they would have received two invitations. Now, we are told what happens when they go to invite them for the second time, aren't we? What happens to the messengers? What? They got killed. Now, think about that. These messengers went out. King asked them to go out, tell the people, everything's ready, right? The, the, the calves are fat. Everything's ready. You can come. Why in the world would they kill the messenger? Messengers. I mean, what does it take for one person to kill another, right? The only conclusion I think we can draw is that the Jews then and some people now just really hate the thought of coming to Christ. They must have, those who are invited, they must have truly had strong, hateful feelings about the son and maybe his bride. Now, I'm kind of going into the weeds a little bit with this, but, but I think this is the kind of thinking that we have to do to try to understand the message that is here. The Jews saw the new Christian church forming. They saw Christ preaching and making conversions, and then he's sending out disciples. They hated that. That was a real threat to them. They hated it so much. Who, who did the Jews kill? We know they killed, well, I don't know specifically they, but I'm going to say they had a lot to do with the death of John, remember? John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen, how did he die? Stoned by Jews. What's that? And Paul was there. Saul. Paul was there. As far as we know, all the disciples except John were died a martyr's death. And understand, the Romans weren't the problem. Right? The Romans really weren't the problem for the early church. It was the Jews. Now, I'm not standing up here and saying, hey, Jews. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you what Scripture says. They were so threatened by Jesus and his message. So in the parable, Jesus said, literally, they killed the messengers. And, and, and Christ himself was killed by the Jews. Right? He was. Not the Romans. The Jews. 
So they must have hated Jesus and his bride so much that they killed those messengers. So what is the king's reaction to this? What? Anger. What did he do? He destroyed what? Their cities? So there's a lot there that we need to unpack again going into the weeds. This king, who represents God, was a powerful king. He had the ability to have armies that could go out and destroy cities. He must have been a a king who encompassed a lot of the world as they knew it at that time because it says cities, right? This was a strong, powerful king and he was angry. So think about that. And, and we may, if we read this parable and we go, well, the messengers got killed. Well, that wouldn't, that doesn't kind of make sense. And the king destroyed their cities. That kind of doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. Well, we can understand it. If we understand that God is a wrathful and jealous God, as well as a loving God, uh, yes, he can do those things. Why were others invited at the last minute? What do you think? What? The people he invited, yes. And, and think about the relationship these folks probably had with the king. He probably protected them, took care of them. He may have given them things to get them through hard times, but yet they, they couldn't bring themselves to respect him enough. And so they turned down. And, and now this king goes out into the streets and says, come one, come all. And it says in there, good and bad, right? Good and bad. That's everybody. Now the key thing here is remember, they went out and pulled them in off the street. What happened to the one guest? What's, I can't hear up here. Yes, he, he was thrown out, right? Isn't that what it says? You just read it. So think about that. They invite people in. This guy comes in. Uh-uh. The king says, no, you can't enter. Well, that's kind of harsh. But why did the king refuse this person entry? He did not put on the robe, I'm going to say the robe of righteousness. James, did you look up that passage this morning from Isaiah because you knew my message? I got message Yeah. All right. Okay. Because in Isaiah, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and weighed me in a robe of 
righteousness. It's, again, going into the weeds, but thinking this through. This king who is very wealthy and powerful and wants people to fill this wedding ceremony, he wants a lot of people. He doesn't just send people out in the street to bring in folks. He sends them out with robes. But think about it. These are people on the street. They may be dirty, sweaty. They may be in rags. It doesn't make any difference. God has clothed them, has given them a robe, a robe to wear, so that when they come before him, he'll know them, and none of their sins, none of that dirt and rags that they have on them is even going to be seen. In God's eyes, they will be clean. And he will say to them, I know you, you're wearing my robe, you are righteous, come on in, come to the celebration. Now, when I was laid up with my various conditions last year, one of the things I did was I read um, Pilgrim's Progress. How many here have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? A little difficult to get through. But I'll tell you what, this was written in the middle 1600s in England by a Puritan named John Bunyan who was in jail at the time because of his faith. This man knew his scripture. If you get a chance, get a copy and read it. It's a classic, Pilgrim's Progress. But in there, John Bunyan says that the uh, pilgrim was named Christian. Appropriate. And the pilgrim says, I came to a hill, and on that hill there was a cross. And when I saw that cross, my burden was lightened. And then angels appeared to me. And they tore off my rags. And they put on this new cloak, this robe. And with this robe, they said, you will enter into paradise because you are being clothed with the robe of righteousness. And I think that's what this parable is all about. Maybe John Bunyan was thinking of this parable when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But this guy that showed up and didn't, wasn't granted entrance, um, what do you think was in his head? He showed no respect. In fact, he was arrogant. And, and here's the key. He probably said, the king invited me. I'm coming. I'm good. Surely he's going to let me in. And God said, no. You didn't put on the robe. Here's the key to the whole parable. Being invited by God is one thing. But whether we put on the robe, that's up to us. This guy didn't put on the robe. He paid the price. And he was thrown out. And as Pastor Tyler spoke a few weeks ago about hell, we don't like to talk about it, but that's basically what this parable is saying. This man was cast into hell. 
See, he didn't change. And we can look at that word change and say he literally didn't change his clothes. But more importantly, he didn't change his heart. He just walked in and says, here I am, God, I'm good. Let me in. Let the party begin. No. God said no. So we have to put on that robe of righteousness. Our actions and what we do after accepting Christ, after accepting the invitation, are just as important. If we don't change our behavior, have we really changed our heart? And that's what this parable is, is teaching us, is trying to teach the Pharisees. You've got to change your heart. You've got to put on that robe. You can't just show up because you won't get in. That's my message this morning. And I would encourage you to consider as you're reading scripture, don't worry about reading a whole lot and saying, wow, I, I knocked off several chapters today. That's not a big deal. Spend some time digging in. Ask the who, what, why, when, where. Consider other places in scripture that will help you. And if you have time, come to the Wednesday morning Bible study. You'll find that studying with a group of fellow Christians can be so helpful and so enlightening.